So this morning, we're going to talk about matching parts. In the 1050 hour, we'll complete the discussion from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But for this hour, we're going to talk about matching parts. And what that simply refers to is, this is not all one-sided. We're not just looking for men who would be described as those who would be considered elders, shepherds, or bishops. We're also looking for a church. A church that knows how to match those men. The problem is not always that there are no men that are fit the description that we're talking about. Sometimes the church doesn't fit the description. So it's not altogether about trying to find the right man or men. It's about as a congregation. Are we fulfilling our responsibilities toward those men? If God could create the perfect elder in personality, attributes, skills, and yet not have a congregation that would correspond, it would not be long before discouragement and despair would give in and it would be a failed effort. And so for this period of time, I want us to think about some of the matching parts. And we're going to walk back through some of the passages that we've already looked at, except from the perspective of the responsibility of the congregation toward these men. And the first of those has to do with those who lead and those who follow. I'd like to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. As we looked at this passage, working through the descriptions of the man and his work, we noticed it as related to his rule. That elders rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. And we talked about that idea of double honor, looks at generous support. And while that does have a primary consideration of financial consideration of a man who labors in the word as a shepherd or elder, it also has to do with the respect that is given toward that man. The deference, the respect, the honor that is given to the man. What good would it do to have leaders if no one's going to follow? In fact, by very definition, when you define leader, it by very definition suggests there will be followers. But if there's someone who's going to rule, that means there's someone that must be ruled If the word rule means to stand before, that means there must be those before whom you stand. 
And so if leaders are going to lead, there must be followers to follow. There must be a respect and a deference that is given to those men out of honor for what they've been asked to do. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews in chapter 3, chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And look at verse 17. Uh, verse 7, first of all. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 in chapter 7. But my tongue just won't get out of the way this morning. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Thank you. Remember those who rule over you, who spoke in the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So first of all, he says, remember. That, again, places a responsibility on someone. We're not asking the man that's been asked to rule to remember. We're asking those who are being ruled to remember. This word rule here is a different word than 1 Timothy 5. This word rule here is to guide or to teach. And so you remember those who guide or teach you and, he says, whose faith you follow. You remember those who guide or teach you and you follow their teaching. That's what he's saying. What good does it do to have a guide if, alas, you're not going to follow the guide? What good does it do to have a teacher if, alas, we're not going to follow what the teacher teaches us? And then verse 17 of chapter 13. Obey those who have ruled over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, while the word elder is not mentioned in either one of those passages, it does fit the description that we have described of these men. First of all, it says obey. The idea of obey is when we both agree to do something. You suggest something and that's exactly what I thought of, so I'll do it too. So here you have obey those who rule over you, obey those who guide or teach you. And yes, that's what I was thinking of, so I'll do that too. That's not a conflict. But then he has the word submit. And the word submit is that's when there is not agreement. And so here is one who rules over you. It's fine whenever we agree. I'll obey then. I'll fall in line then because that's what I thought of too. But what if those who rule over you have a different judgment than what you have? The question is then, will we follow? Will we submit ourselves to them? So here are those who have the rule over you, but will we submit when that which is suggested or that which the rule involves is not what I thought of or what I agree with. Now I would suggest to you, obey is easy. As long as we both agree, that's peachy king, hunky-dory. We're all, we're good. But the rub comes whenever those who rule over us have a different mind than what we or I do. Well, I then submit myself to those who have the rule over me and make then their will my will, even though my will is different than their will. I observed this in the greater discourse that we did with this. Everybody wants elders. 
until elders decide something different than what I think. That's when the word submit comes in. When elders are asking, when those who rule over us, asking us to do something I don't agree with, I don't see that way. We're not talking about sin involved. We're not talking about a matter of truth that's involved. We're talking about a matter of judgment and direction that's involved. Will I then follow? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3. Corresponding with that idea, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3 is this. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And if you remember when we talked about that word example, it is the word of the print, the nail print in the hand. So the nail print in the hand matches the nail that entered the hand. And so here you have the example is the exact replica of the thing that was pressed. So you have the printing press. You'd have the printing press where the die is there and it presses down. And when you lift it up, you have the match that's there. And so he says, follow those who are examples to us. Will we follow to the point that we follow them and are impressed by them and follow the impress they lead on us? Do we match them? Turn to Philippians chapter 3 real quickly. Keep that thought in mind. Philippians chapter 3. When we come to the book of Philippians, did the, did the Philippians have did the Philippians have bishops? Well, in the very first verse, it tells us they had bishops, they had, they had deacons, they had saints. And now notice what Paul will say in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Note those who walk after you. Note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul, first of all, says, join in following my example. Paul said, wherever I step, you step. You mimic me. You follow my example. You be a replicate of what I'm teaching you. And note those. The idea of note is the word in the old King James for the word mark. It's the same word used in Romans chapter 16 when it talks about those who would teach something false. It's not the idea of brand. It's not the idea of I call somebody's name. The idea of note here is to, be, to bring in close view. And so what he says is, follow my example and bring into close view those who what? You have as a pattern for us. So here you have the examples of 1 Peter chapter 5. And Paul says, follow my example, and you note those who follow my example, who follow that pattern, and you fit the pattern that's there. If you're going to make a dress, and you're going to cut out the pattern, the dress that you make corresponds to the pattern that is there. And so what he's saying is, you, you bring into close inspection those who follow that pattern. But, here is where our Western independence gets in our way because in the United States of America nobody's going to tell me what to do right isn't that what we think nobody's going to tell me what to do and by the way we've been told don't you follow anybody you follow Christ wait a minute <laughs> Holy Spirit said something different 
Paul said, you follow our example. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he said, follow me as I follow the Lord. And so there are those whose examples we are to follow. Now, what good does it do to have leaders if we're not going to follow? What good does it do to have teachers if we're not going to practice what they teach? What good does it do to remember those who are over us if we're not going to submit? What good does it do to have examples if we're not going to follow their example? So you have leaders and followers. The responsibility of a congregation is to follow the leader. Second of all, look at the idea of judging and accepting counsel. Now turn to Acts chapter 15. Turn back to Acts chapter 15. Just a reminder of what's taking place here. In verse 2 and verse 6, you have this strong controversy that's taking place here over whether or not Gentiles should be circumcised to come unto Christ. Are there certain aspects of the law they must keep to be able to become Christians? And it tells us in verse 2 that there was no, no small dissension and dispute with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. First of all, this is not a small thing. This is a great controversy here. There is great contention here. In other words, when Paul and Barnabas walk into this, everybody's on the edge already. You don't have to worry about walking on eggshells. The eggshells are already crushed. And they're walking into this, and there's no small dissension and dispute here. And Paul and Barnabas go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders. Now notice the equal footing that's put there. And so verse 6 says, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. If all they wanted was a yes or no, they didn't have to send for Paul. They had to send for Barnabas. They had prophets there. But they wanted to consider, come together to consider this matter. And so when they came together to consider this matter, what happened? Well, Paul stood up, and, stood up and talked. Barnabas stood up and talked. And then James spoke. And James spoke, quoting what Amos said about how God had planned on accepting the Gentiles. All along was God's plan. To accept the Gentiles. Just like you accept the Jews by faith. And so they're giving this instruction. Paul and Barnabas and James are offering their judgment about this. In fact, when you look at verse 22, it says, then it, Acts 15 verse 22, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send men of their own, chosen of their own company at Antioch, with Paul and Barnabas, Namely, Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading among the brethren. Notice it said, verse 22, then it pleased the apostles and elders. So here they've come to a judgment about this. In fact, if you look at verse 28, notice further it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than things necessary. So they said, it pleased the apostles and elders, and it also was in agreement with the Holy Spirit. We'd say... The elders came to this conclusion, and the Word of God agrees. They had the Holy Spirit and the inspired man at that time, not the inspired book. We had the Holy Spirit and the inspired book, not the inspired man now. So here the Holy Spirit agreed with what? The judgment they came to about whether or not Gentiles had to be circumcised, and they agreed with sending the letter. 
Acts chapter 16 and verse 4. It says, as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees to keep. That word decrees is the word dogma. The word dogma doesn't, doesn't uh, fit well in our mouths. We think of dogma, we think of dogmatic, we just kind of spit that out, it's kind of sour. But the idea of decree here or dogma is the idea of opinion or judgment. And it says, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the judgment or opinion to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And then verse 5 says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Here was a doctrinal matter. And the doctrinal matter was considered. A judgment was given as a result of that. And the Holy Spirit agreed with the judgment that was there. And the council was, we'll write this letter and will not impose further burden upon them. And that letter went forth and they went forth and they accepted, the people accepted the dogma, the decree, the judgment of the elders and the apostles. The question then is, what good does it do to have men of judgment if in the end we're not going to listen to their counsel? What good does it do to have men who consider a matter even doctrinally if in the end we're not going to listen to their counsel that agrees with the word of God? You see, if we're going to have men to judge, and remember the term elder also involved the idea of judging. When we looked at that term, remember that? Their elders judged things. Remember the Old Testament? They judged some things. They even judged a life or death thing. So there's a judgment that is given. What good does it do to have men who are going to be asked to judge if in the end, we're not going to follow their counsel. If we're not going to follow the counsel, and we're not going to follow them as our leaders, then why even have them? Why even have them? Third, let's look at the idea of shepherding in the flock. And turn over to Acts chapter 20 of this. Acts chapter 20. Look at the idea of shepherding and the idea of the flock. First of all, read beginning of verse 17 with me. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to them, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that change and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone 
preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. If I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Start down verse 28, and let's work backward just a moment. He said, here I have set you as, Holy Spirit has set you as overseers to shepherd the flock. Put your marker there in Acts chapter 20, and turn back to John chapter 10 with me, please. John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, look at verses 3 through 6. John chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And, brings out. and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they'll by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. We see the relationship here between the sheep and the shepherd. Here are the sheep in this particular story and the parable that Jesus is telling here know the voice of the shepherd. The sheep know the voice and they know the voice and they respond to the voice of the shepherd. But they don't know the voice of a hireling. And so they don't respond to the voice of the hireling. So here's some crucial moment that comes in the life of a congregation. And how will elders keep a congregation safe? Do they just block somebody? Do they just blackball somebody? Well, that never worked real well. Never has worked well. It never will work real well. Especially in our digital age, it's not going to work well. How does it work? When the sheep know the voice of the shepherds. They listen to the voice of the shepherds, and they know the difference between the voice of a shepherd and the voice of a hireling. And they listen to the voice of the shepherd. They don't listen to the voice of the hireling. Look at verse 8. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. The sheep didn't hear them. Why? Because they don't know their voice. Now turn back to Acts chapter 20 with me. Acts chapter 20. So as we walk back through this passage now, we begin to see as we further read in verse 29. For know this, that after my departure, savage wolves. So he's told them in verse 28 to watch, take heed to watch. Why? For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those sanctified. I coveted what? No one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know these hands provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord that he says, more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says in verse 33, I didn't ask a penny from you. In fact, I worked laboring with my hands to provide for myself and those who were traveling with me. 
I didn't come asking for your money. I came to try to touch your hearts. That's what he's saying. And then he says, I've shown you in every way by labor like this that you must support the weak. We looked at that when we walked through this. And the idea of weak doesn't have anything to do, unless it's in this passage, with the idea of any financial remuneration at all. He's not saying, okay, elders, you have to have a good job so you can support the poor among you out of your own pocket. Now, if there's a need, are elders Christians? Yes. Are elders going to give like Christians give? Yes. That's not what he's talking about here. The idea of weak is weak in faith. Uh, it's, it's the idea of, of ignorance. It's the idea of neglect. And so here's someone that's weak. Sometimes it's easier to kick the weak down, kick the weak, like kicking the can down the road, just kick them down the road. If we ask for 24 hours or $100, which will we get more of? What does 24 hours require? It requires us. What he's telling us here is this is not a 40-hour week job. This requires investment of our energy and our time to do this work. And he says, notice how I showed you this. Back up to what he says here in verse 18. And when they come to him, he said, you know from the first day I came to Asia how I lived among you. I showed you how to do this. I showed you how to do it in humility. I showed you how to sacrifice selflessly. I showed you how to persevere in this. I showed you by the way that I taught you. I didn't leave anything undone. I didn't leave anything on the table. I tried to dot every I and cross every T with you. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not, don't bear any guilt at all for you not knowing what you ought to know. I invested the totality of my being with you. So he says, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of example did I show you? I came to you with all humility. And I came to you and laid it all on the line, giving myself for you. And so he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you look at the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus was helping the weak, not the poor. It was helping those who were weak. He'd have the rule over those who were weak. He came helping them. And so the life of Jesus is, I come helping by serving it's more blessed to give than to receive. You come and you help by serving. And he says, it's more blessed to give in serving than to what? Than to receive. But here's the question. So here's someone that's weak. And the shepherds, overseers, see because they're watching someone's weak. And they go to that person and talk to that person about their weakness. Number one, do they have the courage to do that? Do they have the sincere care of the souls to go do that? Here's someone whose manner of life does not follow the word of God. Do they have the courage to go and confront the person whose manner of life is not consistent with the word of God? 
But what if they go to the weak and the weak don't listen? Here an overseer or shepherd comes and talks to me because of a weakness and yet I don't listen to them. I'm not going to take their counsel. I'm not going to follow what they ask. Well, if I'm not going to listen to someone who comes to me with a vested interest in my soul, who's demonstrated a selfless concern for my soul, then why have them? You see, if I'm weak and someone loves me enough to come talk to me about my weakness because they're watching for my soul, shouldn't that say something about my willingness to listen to them? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at the idea of equipping and training. The idea of equipping and training. And look at verses 11 and following. Verses 11 and following. And he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. With a view to equipping of the saints, in order to the work of serving, in order to the work of edifying of the body of Christ. Here you have pastors who teach, who equip. But what if someone won't be trained? You know, the infamous passage we quote with regard to parenting, train up a child the way he should go when he's old, he's not depart from it. But that train looks at two things. Number one, looks at someone to train. Number two, looks at someone, looks at someone to be trained. What well, if the training takes place, but the one to be trained does not receive the training? What well, if elders are doing what they can to train, to equip, to serve and to edify, but will not be trained? If there's going to be training, then there must be someone that's willing to be trained. If we're not willing to be trained, then why have someone to train us? And then the last passage before we close. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. In James chapter 5 and verse 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Verse 13. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. But what if the elders aren't called? Well, you ought to know me. You ought to know I'm sick. How come you didn't check on me? Nobody called me. You're supposed to watch over me. You're not watching. I, I had this problem. You didn't know I had this problem. Why, why didn't you know I had this problem? Well, I wish that elders could be mind readers so we can know the problems. I'm not sure I want to be a mind reader for everything. Of all the spiritual gifts, I don't think I want is discerning of hearts. I may not want to know everything everybody's thinking. The Lord did. He could deal with that. Ricky can't. But what good does it do to have those who are to be called if we're not going to call them? If we're in this moment of distress and we need elders to pray for us, but they don't know we need their prayers, then we can hardly blame them for not knowing because they haven't been called. 
What good does it do to have someone to call if we're not going to call them? And when we call them, if we're not going to listen to their counsel, and when we call them, if we're not going to follow their example, and when we call them, we're not going to let them teach us and train us. We're not going to remember what they say. You see, what would it do? What would it do? What would it do to elders? What would it do to these men we're talking about? If you had a congregation, of God, a congregation of people who refused to follow, who refused to accept counsel, refused to, to listen to the voice, who refused to be trained and refused to call, what would it do to those men? How long do you think it would be before they'd be so discouraged? They turn to bitterness and cynicism. And then all is lost. Or what, what if you had men who didn't lead, but men who were diatrophies? And men who weren't concerned for your well-being, but concerned for themselves. Men who weren't concerned with being trained, but concerned with whether you said yes or no, because they told you to jump and you asked how high, mixing metaphors. What would it, good, good, would it do if you didn't have these kind of men? What would happen to the church? Would it be long before the church is in, in despair and discouraged and people feel with bitterness and cynical as well about their leaders? But what if you had men who were leaders and people who followed? Men whose judgment we respected and we accepted their counsel. Men who shepherded and we listened to the voice. Men who could equip and we are willing to be trained. And men who are willing to be called when they're called to come. What kind of congregation would that be? Do you see the difference in all that? The congregation has responsibility toward men that we ask to shepherd, oversee, or adjudge us as well. It's not all one-sided. Now let me close with this observation. This is just a book of, the Ricky, book of Ricky observation. But in this, I'm not the only shepherd that feels this way. So I will include my fellows in this. I know because we've talked about it. This is not a preacher-centric church. And I'm very thankful for that. This is a very shepherd, elder, bishop-centric church. And I will have to say, the greater percentage of the time, 90% plus, is that you follow, you listen to counsel, you accept judgment, you know the voice, you're willing to be trained, and you call. Illustration. Remember several years ago when we began to undertake the rearrangement of our Sunday assemblies? We began that process among ourselves in February of that year. And almost every meeting that we had together after that, coming up to July, that was on the agenda and a central part of the agenda. And in that, there were seven of us at the time. There were six of us that were all over the map. Yes, no, I don't know, jump high, jump low. In that period of time, there was one who started yes and stayed yes and didn't move. But finally, when it came down to it, 
We're not gathered in July to, to say, are we going to make a decision? That just was organic. It came in the meeting and said, okay, Joe, yes or no, Brett, yes or no, and around the room we went. And we all said yes. And so we came and presented to you. As a result of that, there were primarily three groups of people that emerged from that. Four, actually. There were those that were strong, yes. Those that were strong, no. Those who said, if they do that, I can't come because I only come at five. And those who said, we'll follow you. The last was the largest majority. So first of all, we talked to the five people who said, if we do this, I'll not be able to attend because I only come at five. And we said, will you try this and work with us in this for six months? Everyone said yes. Well, then we had to go. The yeses were not an issue for us. Then we had to go to the no's. And there were several among the no's. And so we went to the no's. And we spoke to the no's. Will you work with this? Will you try this with us for six months in this? And everyone that was a no said, yes, we'll try. During that period of time, some of the no's became yeses. And some of the yeses became no's. Those who said we'll follow only increased. And so we came back to you. And we said, this is our proposal to you. And then we asked, will you follow? And even those who had an apprehension on some level of no said, yes, we will follow. That submit. That submit. The yes is obeyed. They had no problem. Those who said we'll follow you, they obeyed. They had no problem. But the one who had some apprehension said, yes, we will follow you. Folks, that was a quantum change in our gathering arrangement on Sundays. It was not a slight issue. And you followed. Thank God for you. Right, my fellows? Thank God for you. And you know what will happen going forward? You'll follow. You'll accept counsel. You'll know our voice. You'll be taught and be trained. And you'll call because that's the kind of people you are. That's the kind of heart you have. Thank God for you. We'll have a prayer and a verse of song and be dismissed, dismissed our classes. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com we'd love to have you in person come if you can but thank you for connecting with us